Been walking to a city I cannot see Through the depths of the valley where the sun can't reach And I've been high, I've been low I've been looking for the river that could fill my soul Been walking to a city I cannot see Fill my cup, Lord, run it over They can say what they want, I don't want what they say. And I was born far from home, but I've been thriving in the wonder of the great unknown. Cause I'm drinking from a well from another place. Fill my cup, Lord, run it over.
I'd see I know that even this valley was a golden stream Fill my cup, Lord, run it over Give me love, give me joy, give me peace Fill my cup, Lord, run it over My hand, your child in me Lord, I need you Fill my cup, fill my house up Good morning. It's an honor to welcome you here to East Hazel Baptist Church. So glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. It's hard to believe that we will be uh, celebrating Thanksgiving this week. And as believers of all people in the world, we have so much to be thankful for. Of all the things we celebrate throughout the years, Thanksgiving ought to be the, the one that we really celebrate and praise God throughout this week. So I hope that this week is a time of preparation. And even today as we gather, that it's a day of Thanksgiving and worship. Just a reminder, because it is Thanksgiving uh, this Thursday, we will not have Wednesday evening activities, so just make a note of that. And then also, if you came down the hall, you probably passed our Christmas and Teaville uh, tables. Just a reminder, if you would like to help with that uh, outreach project, we're uh, looking to purchase gifts and help meet the needs of 63 kids through Taylorsville Elementary. And uh, those ladies do an amazing job buying so much for so little. I don't know how they do it, but if you would like to give, you can give through on your offering. Just make a note of that. You can give online. Uh, you can make that contribution out there at the table, or you can pick up a gift, a specific gift, and purchase that yourself and bring that back. But there's a lot of ways to be involved, uh, but we encourage you to participate in that. But right now, we're going to ask everyone to stand. And as you're standing, just a reminder to our guests, before you leave, if you're visiting with us today, stop by our guest table in the lobby and pick up a guest bag. And uh, we encourage you to fill out the guest card there. But we want to welcome you to the service. Take a minute to welcome your neighbor. Introduce yourself if you do not know them and welcome them today.
come to this time of, of prayer this morning, I just want to mention a couple families by name, the David Starnes family, if you will uh, remember them in prayer. His mother passed away this past week, and they'll be, uh, the funeral will be tomorrow at Mount Bethel United Methodist Church. They'll receive friends from 1 to 2, and the service will follow at 2, so if you will remember uh, that family in your prayer. Also, Lucy Bird, uh, who is at home, she's a very faithful member here at East Hills Baptist Church. She may be watching this morning, but uh, remember her and her family in your prayers, if you will. And uh, let's continue to lift up the Lynn Marshall family. Uh, Lynn is very sick, and his family's at home taking care of him. So lift Mama Jean up to the Lord, Jody, Stacy, and the rest of their family and friends, if you will. And I'm going to ask Ramey, one of our deacons, if he'll come. He's going to lead us in this prayer, but before he does, uh, as the praise team leads us in this song, you meet me here at the altar, and let's pray together as a church this morning. Thank you. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to come out to your house this morning, Lord. We thank you this week as we enter into the week of Thanksgiving, Lord, that we're reminded this week, as we will, it should be every week, Lord, of how great you are to us, Lord. We thank you for your son dying on the cross so we could have ever eternal life, Lord. Lord, we got many needs in our church this week, Lord. We got many facing treatments, surgeries, many uh, loved ones on their last days, Lord, many lost loved ones recently, Lord. I just pray that you'll comfort and intervene in all these situations, Lord. I pray that you'll be with the doctors treating treating these. I pray that you'll guide them, Lord. Be with their families as they care for them, Lord. Lord, thank you. Uh, pray that you'll be with our brother in a moment, Lord, as he brings the message, Lord. Just comfort, just giving the words we need to hear, Lord. And Lord, uh, just help us as we go out to the world this week, Lord, as Christians, that we'll be an example uh, of you to our world, Lord. Our, our Lord needs you, Lord, uh, as we're reminded each and every day, Lord. Pray for our country. Uh, pray for our world, Lord. Pray for Israel especially, Lord, that uh, you'll just intervene in these situations, Lord. Forgive us of our many sins and our shortcomings. In thy name we pray. Amen. of you can all relate to this song at one time or another in your life. 
certain circumstances, things I could not understand. Many times in trials, weakness blurred my vision. My frustrations get so out of hand. But it's then I am reminded I've never been forsaken. I've never had to stand one test alone. Then I look at all the victories and the spirit rises up in me. And it's through the fire my weakness is made strong. Oh. He never promised that the cross would not get heavy and the hill would
shoebox is open, they're overjoyed. You can see them shouting, jumping. Oh, look at how much they are excited. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoeboxes. They are so happy. Every box is important because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about His Son, Jesus Christ. If you get the heart of the child, you will reach the heart of the parents, you will reach the heart of the family, and then you will touch the community. That gift box is the beginning into their hearts. Isn't it incredible how these gifts touch the lives of these children? Every year we see tens of thousands of children discipled. And we couldn't do this without you, so thank you for packing the boxes. Thank you for praying for these children around the world. God bless you, and keep packing those boxes. All right, keep packing those boxes. We have about 1,200 shoe boxes to pack tonight, so let's thank the Lord for that, for, for allowing us to do that. I want to thank Nick and Maria and, and uh, their family for all that they do for this uh, shoebox ministry here. And as Franklin said, you don't know and won't know until you get to heaven uh, how God impacted a child or maybe even their whole family. I think you can go to Samaritan's Purse's website and they have some results of like uh, as best they can of, of how many people get saved each year through the shoebox ministry. So thank you for giving to that. It's in our budget, and I just want to thank the Purdue family for all their hard work. Uh, they work year-round on it, so thank you. Five o'clock tonight in the gym. Please be there. We'll have food for you as well, so hopefully hopefully you'll come. Stand with me if you have your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 3 again. I'm going to read verses 18 through 22 and focus really on 19 uh, through 22. The Bible says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So this morning what we're going to look at is proclamation, resurrection, and ascension. Okay, three simple things we're going to look at in this passage. The fact that Jesus made a proclamation... Uh, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and that's why baptism here does not save you. Your faith in Jesus saves you. Peter uh, is just using the ark as an analogy. The ark didn't save Noah. As a matter of fact, it was his faith and trust in God that, that saved him. So our baptism doesn't save us, of course. It's our faith in Jesus that saves us, and baptism is a picture of that. Then we're going to look at Jesus' ascension real quick. I preached on the ascension of Jesus uh, probably about three months ago. But, so this will be a review for some of you. But this whole section of Scripture talks about Christ's death, his descent into Sheol, his resurrection, and his ascension. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for these three things that we're going to look at this morning are so very important to us and to our church. Uh, Lord, we cannot be born again unless we believe in the resurrection. And Lord, the only way we can have any kind of peace and comfort at all, all is to know that you have ascended and are sitting at the right hand of God the Father and that you are the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And Father, if there's anyone here today uh, in person or online who will watch later this week who has never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today, Lord, would be their day of salvation. And then, Father, remind us, Lord, as Jeff and the choir so beautifully sang about 
Uh, we all go through hard times. Everybody does. But Lord, I'm so thankful that we have a Savior who is seated on a throne, who can handle everything that we give him, who is interceding for us now. Father, we thank you for that, and I pray that we'd never take that for granted. Thank you for your love and for your forgiveness, Lord, and thank you for salvation, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the first thing we're going to look at here is the proclamation of Jesus. And notice, the Bible says this, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, okay? Last week, we looked at the fact that, and it's my belief that there's Sheho and there was a place for spirits and the lost, and then there was a place for the saved, and that Jesus went and he made a proclamation. Now, notice that word proclamation. This is basically what it means. It's like our English word proclamation. It means a public or official announcement, especially one dealing with a matter of great importance. Now, remember this. Sheol is a place from which there's no escape. The gates are locked. The windows are barred. The prison guard death is an undefeatable uh, undefeated through human effort, only something unexpected entering into the realm of the dead and breaking down the gates from the inside could ever hope to defeat both hell's gates and their master. Storming the gates for mere humans is futile, but Jesus did. And the Bible says that when he did, he made a proclamation. Okay, That's an official announcement. Now, I've heard some uh, scholars say that Jesus went and he uh, basically he proclaimed so much that it was like he bragged. Okay, now, I don't know if he did that or not. How many of you like a bragger? I'm glad I'm not one, okay? I'm not one. But think about this. Jesus made a proclamation, and what he's saying is hell loses and heaven wins. But I think, I think Jesus probably said some things like this. I am the Son of God. I am the Son of Man. I am the giver of eternal life. I am the one who forgives sins. I am the great I am. I am the future judge of all demonic forces and all people for all times. I am the Lamb of God. I am the Savior of the world. I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. I also believe that he, he basically proclaimed victory to those who he, he, who he led captive as well, who, who took out of captivity. Notice the second thing here this morning. Notice the resurrection. It's been stated that this is the most important event in human history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's so important that Paul said that you can't even be saved unless you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. See, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. Paul tells us in the, in the book of Romans, I think it's in the first chapter, that the gospel, the gospel is authenticated, and that's the term that he uses, uh, by the resurrection of the dead, which what he means is this, if there is no resurrection of the dead, there's no gospel. It has to be authenticated. I've shared with you in the past that I used to collect cards. I remember going to uh, one of the flea markets one time, and a guy had a had an O.J. Simpson rookie card. It just it looked a little different. Okay, and he was going to sell it for like I think twenty bucks, ten bucks, and that card was worth over a hundred dollars at the time. And I thought I was getting a good deal, right? Until I started looking up the numbers, and then I found out that I could not authenticate that card. Okay, and that card now is worth a lot more than that. But my card's worth nothing because it, it cannot be authenticated. And see, the gospel wor is worth nothing unless Jesus has risen from the dead. You must believe in your heart that Jesus was a real person, all right? You have to, you have to believe in your heart that he died for your sins. You have to believe that he it's a historical fact that he rose from the dead. That's what all the New Testament is about. That's what the, the, the disciples proclaimed is that this Jesus who, who was alive and was crucified it has now uh, risen from the dead. 
And the Bible gives us seven facts about the resurrection, or I think there's seven or six. He has seven. Notice, Jesus' resurrection was prophesied in advance as far back as Isaiah. When you get to Isaiah 53, what God gives Isaiah is a picture of Jesus coming to die on the cross. It talks about how his, his, his uh, appearance was so marred that people didn't even really know if he was a human being or not. He was beaten so bad. It also talks about how where he's going to be buried. And it also talks about the fact that Jesus would not remain in the tomb, that he would, he would rise from the dead. Jesus predicted his resurrection. Matthew 12, 38 and 40, the Bible says this, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In Mark's gospel, Mark records this. Jesus says, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. So Jesus predicted his resurrection. Jesus was buried in a tomb that was easy to find. The Bible says it was in Joseph's tomb, which was a very well-known person. Uh, his body was, was in the tomb. We know that Jesus' body was not in the tomb now because it would be turned into a religious shrine. We know that in that tomb that there are grave clothes that were found uh, in the tomb in the shape of a body that nobody took off, that somebody just came through. We also know that there was a huge stone. The Bible says that Joseph pushed the stone in front of this rock, uh, hewn out rock and that that stone was not just moved but it was picked up and carried a long way off we also know that the chief priests bribed the guards body, bribed the guards to say that the body was stolen and many Jews believe that to this day but this tomb was a very well known easy to find tomb Peter when he was preaching on Pentecost says fellow Israelites listen to this Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here with us to this day. And it's almost like Peter is challenging these Jews to go to the tomb where Jesus was buried and just look at it. Very easy to find tomb. Wasn't hard to find. Peter was so convincing and his preaching was so powerful that 3,000 people were saved that day and baptized. Isn't that amazing? Do you realize what a revival would take place if you went to Jerusalem today and 3,000 people got saved? It would be amazing. It'd be almost like going to Iran and preaching to a group of Muslims and 3,000 Muslims getting saved that day, getting baptized that day. Where over there, they'll probably kill you if you're baptized. Okay? The Jews didn't do that, but the Jews did uh, excommunicate them from the temple and synagogues and different things like that. And a lot of times their family would call them blasphemers. So when they were baptized publicly, they were very convinced that Jesus' body was not in the tomb. Jesus appeared physically alive three days after his death. Jesus said this, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and, and your Father and to my God and your God. Jesus appeared to the disciples. It says on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus' resurrection was recorded as scripture shortly after it occurred. If you read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4, what many scholars believe that this is an early church creed. And Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Jesus' resurrection convinced his family to worship him as God. That's amazing. James and Jude both have books in the New Testament, and they did not believe in Jesus until the resurrection. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says it. Jesus uh, showed himself to James. and Ju Listen to how Jude uh, lists himself in, in, in the book of Jude. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. And what Jude is saying is this. I believe in Jesus so much that I'm his bondservant. And whenever Jude puts Jesus Christ, one scholar puts it this way. When Jude puts Jesus Christ in the place of Lord or God, he is communicating something of immense importance about Jesus. That he has a relationship to Jude similar to the relationship of God to Moses and God to David. That's an amazing thought. That's an amazing thing to say about your brother. Jude goes on to say this, Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. And what Jude does in the book of Jude is he defends the gospel and defends Jesus' deity. He says, I find it very diligent to write to you. He said, i got to do this. I find it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. And what Jude is saying here is this, we must fight for the faith. And that word faith means the basic doctrines about Jesus. You have to fight for it, he said, because there have been false teachers from that time all the way up to now. Okay? So you have to place your faith in a resurrected person. It's a historical fact. If not, what's your faith in? What's your faith in? I don't have blind faith, people. That's not what faith means. When the writer of Hebrews says, talks about faith, he's not talking about faith and hope like it's something that we, just, we can just dream up. He's saying there are very easily verifiable facts that prove that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. As a matter of fact, in ancient history, there is no better historical evidence for any person than Jesus. And there's no better historical evidence for any event in ancient history than the resurrection of the dead. It, you cannot disprove it. You can't. And if you do not place your faith in the resurrected Christ, then you're not saved. So ask yourself, what have you placed your faith in? Have you placed your faith in the resurrected Christ? Now notice, Jesus' resurrection was confirmed by his most bitter enemies like Paul. Paul went about trying to kill Christians. He held the clothes when Stephen was stoned, one of the first martyrs. And then Saul is approached by Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and he's born again. So much so that the Bible says this, when Paul went to the Areopagus or Mars Hill, in front of all the educated people, he says this, in the past God overlooked ignorance, talking about them worshiping all these different gods. He says, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now imagine preaching that today in a university setting with a bunch of teachers. Okay, Think about that. 
Now, maybe they've already repented, but that's what, that's what Paul is saying. In front of all these people, he's in Mars Hill, by the way. You can look it up. And he's preaching. He says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. For he has set a day in which he'll judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now, think about that for a moment. The most bitter enemies uh, to uh, the early Christians were not the Roman guards, but they were the Jewish people. In John 7, the Bible says this, Jesus did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. In Acts 9, Acts 20, Acts 23, Jews plot to kill Paul because Paul is preaching that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. It's a historical fact, he says. He told King Agrippa when he stood before him, these things weren't done in the corner. We all know about this. Jesus rose from the dead and you've placed your faith in him or not. There was no, there was no question back then about whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. It's amazing. So, so ask yourself, what is your faith in? Whom is your faith in? Okay? Is your faith in Christianity? Is your faith in some, uh, what I call a fairy tale version of who Jesus is? Or is your faith in an actual person who actually lived, who physically rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father? The resurrection of Christ has been authenticated by Jesus. <clears throat> now think about this. Paul so believed in, in, in the uh, resurrection of Christ that the Bible says that in Acts 23, a group of about 40 men, listen to this, vowed not to eat until they had killed Paul because he preached. They were going to kill Paul because he preached, and when he preached, people got saved. They were so enraged at his teaching about Jesus that they determined to kill him. They convinced their religious leaders to summon Paul to their court under the pretense of asking more questions. Then the Bible says, Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, he said, Get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Think about that for a minute. These 40 men vowed not to eat until they killed Paul, and then this person says, we're going to give you 470 armed guards to assign to Paul. That's how important this was. Why would Paul risk his life? Because Jesus Christ historically rose from the dead. And you have to either believe that or, or not. It's the most important event in human history. And sometimes it's the most debated, but in my opinion, there's no, no debate about it. There's so much evidence for the resurrection of Christ and there's so much evidence for the growth of Christianity and the reason Christianity grew so much, especially in Jerusalem, is because there was a tomb empty and nobody was in it. And Jesus was saving so many people in Jerusalem that the church just kept bursting, 20,000 up to 50,000. It's amazing how many people uh, believed in Christ and that's because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then the next thing here, notice the ascension. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says this, Jesus who has gone into heaven, the ascension, the ascension of Christ is so important. You think about this, 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus and his disciples went to the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem. There Jesus promised his followers that, he would soon receive the, that they would soon receive the Holy Spirit, and he instructed them to remain in Jerusalem until the Spirit had come. Then Jesus blessed them, and as he gave them blessings, he began to ascend into heaven. And this account is in Luke 24 and also Acts 1. The account of Jesus' ascension is found there. And one, one scholar put it this way, from the resurrection of Christ, we know that we serve a risen Savior. From his ascension, we know that we serve a glorified Savior. Savior. Just as essential as the nativity of Christ and his birth is to his birth, the death of Christ on the cross, the resurrection of Christ from the grave is the ascension of our Lord into the heavens. Now think, one, one person put it this way, one could ascend a ladder, 
Jesus had told Nathanael that he uh, would see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, and Jacob beheld a ladder in his midnight dream at Bethel. Or one could ascend to Jerusalem, moving to a higher elevation from sea level. The term could be used figuratively, figuratively to refer to the elevation of a king to his royal office, but no one had ever ascended to heaven in the sense in which Jesus was speaking. The ascension of Jesus was a supreme political event of world history. He ascended. And here's why. Notice these reasons why this is so important. And this will be a review for some of you. Jesus returned to the Father. After he resurrected, he said, and I'll read this verse again, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Before his death, Jesus set his sights on Jerusalem. After the resurrection, he set his sights on his throne. Jesus ascended to a throne. This is so important. Jesus took his place on the throne. When Jesus first began preaching, he had a very simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven was near because the king of heaven was near. He was right there in the midst of them, but it was not until after Jesus ascended in his ascension and his return to heaven that he took the rightful place on the throne because you serve a king and that king has authority over your life to dictate what he wills that king has authority over all the weather over everything because he's the king and his law is perfect and his law is right but it only became so or ultimately became so when Jesus ascended to the throne the prophet Daniel had a vision of this event hundreds of years before it happened in Daniel 7 Daniel says this in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming out of the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel saw that. Daniel saw what took place after Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He ascended to a throne, and Daniel says this, that all people will worship him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. He's been given authority, he's been given glory, and he's been given sovereign power over all things. Aren't you thankful that your king is sovereign? The sovereignty of God, being in control of all things, should be a soft pillow that you lay your head on each night. It should be. And it cannot happen unless Jesus is seated on a throne, and thankfully he is. Number three, Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit after he ascended. Jesus tells us in, in the Gospel of John, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So now when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. The disciples didn't have that privilege until Jesus ascended. Jesus went on to tell his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, when I send to heaven, he will descend into your lives. We need the Holy Spirit. Unless Jesus went away, he could never have sent us the Holy Spirit. It's because Jesus ascended to heaven that he poured out his Holy Spirit upon his people. And notice number four. Jesus prays for us. Right now, you're being interceded for by Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thought? Think about that. That Jesus Christ intercedes for you. In Romans 8.34, it says, Paul says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
I've had many people in my life say, I pray for you, preacher. And, I, and I'll tell them, thank you so much for that. I do. I really do appreciate it. We all could use more prayer in our lives, couldn't we? But do you realize that, that God the Father is seated? Jesus Christ is seated, God the Son, and he's praying for you right now. It's an amazing thought. There, there you have the empty cross, the empty tomb, the empty earth once again here in this verse. But what is Jesus doing at the right hand of God? He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. John put it this way, my dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So he's interceding for you and he's also your advocate before the Father when you sin because you're going to. And then finally is this, Jesus will come again. Notice what he says in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And one scholar put it this way, it does not make sense that Jesus would go and prepare a place for you if he wasn't planning on coming back to get you as well. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples looked intently up into the sky, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus will come back again. The ascension means that Jesus left, but it also means that he is coming back. Do you think Jesus is coming soon? I know we're one day closer than yesterday, right? Now let me ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that you have left undone that if Jesus Christ came back today, he's asked you to do it and you just hadn't done it. Why don't you make a commitment today to do that? If Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit we talked about, has, has sovereignly gifted you with a spiritual gift or of whatever and given you knowledge that only you have and given you the influence that only you have and he has encouraged you through the Holy Spirit to do something, do not say no to the king. Do not. I would tell you this, if Jesus has called you to teach, teach. If he's called you to sing, sing, okay? If he has called you to go on the mission field, go on the mission field, right? If he's called you to stay here and shake hands with everybody, don't, don't you love happy people? I mean, if you can have one spiritual gift that'll bless me, just be happy, all right? Put up your shopping carts and be happy, right? Just be happy. Be happy in church. Some of the, some of the worst frowny faces I've ever seen in my life are in church, and I'm thinking, God, send your, send, send, send your Holy Spirit to their face, all right? If God has called you to do something, if God has called you to do it, and he's equipped you to do it, and he's sovereignly gifted you to do it, then I would encourage you to do it. Hey, I've sat there in those services before where a preacher would say that, and I knew God had called me to preach, and I would not, I would not give in. I would not because I was so scared of my abilities, right? I knew, I knew what I was able to do. And it wasn't that, okay? And also how, how my life might change. But I'm so thankful that I did, okay? So if God is calling, he's coming back soon. Are you ready to meet him? Are there things in your life that you need to make right today? Are there things in your life that you need to make right today? And you've been, and you're probably like I used to be when I was lost. When I would go to Millersville Baptist Church and they would preach and I'd get under conviction so bad, I'd say, I'm gonna get saved next Sunday. I'm gonna get saved next Sunday. I'm gonna get saved next Sunday. And that's some of you, and it's been 10 years, okay? And I would encourage you to give your life to Jesus today. I would tell you there's no bridge from hell to heaven. 
I would encourage you to come to Jesus this morning. And I would tell you this as well. Do you need comfort? I would encourage you to come to the ascended Christ. Come to him. I'm so thankful for people that can help us, aren't you? But there are some things in life only Jesus can heal. And you need to come to Christ, the ascended Christ. Do you need strength today? So many people are physically strong, but they're, they're emotionally in pain. And I would encourage you to come to Christ. There's some things only Jesus can heal. Do you need peace? Come to the ascended Christ. It amazes me the number of people at this church who've been through tragedy, and they go through it with the peace of Christ. It's amazing to me. I, it just, it just, it, I just can't understand it, really. I guess you have to go through it. But you know what Paul said? That God would give us a peace that passes all understanding. Do you need peace today? I would encourage you to come to the ascended Christ. Do you need salvation? Come to the ascended Christ. He's, he alone can comfort, strengthen, give peace and salvation, and the choice is yours this morning. I'm going I'm to ask you to stand with me for just a moment as our musicians come, and they're going to lead us in a time of invitation. If you would just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you to do that today. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and I trust God will save you if you call upon him. You don't have to come forward to do that. You can do that right there uh, where you're seated. Uh, if you're a Christian today, surrender to the, God's will in your life. Do it. The king is coming back. And Jesus said he's going to reward us for what we do for him. So make a commitment today to do it. Do you need strength and comfort today? Ask the God of the Father and God the Son who is seated at the right hand of God the Father to help you today. And I trust he will. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I want to thank you for this time of invitation. Lord, uh, you can do so many things. Lord, in a short amount of time, Lord, it could take us weeks to try to do it. We just can't do it. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts today. I pray that you'd save give peace, give comfort, give healing. Lord, do the things that only a, a resurrected, ascended Christ could do, and we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Thank you so much for being here today, and I say this at the end of every service, and I mean it. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you'd like to talk to myself or one of our staff. We'll be here for just a little while after the church service is over. Our numbers are in the bulletin. You can contact us anytime. We'd love to talk to you about that. I want to encourage you to be here tonight at 5 p.m. to help pack 1,200 shoeboxes. God bless you. Hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. Hope to see you back here tonight.